This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The last word to the Jewish people in the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, before the 400-year silence was an invitation by God. And it was an invitation by God, very important in the book of Malachi, to the Jewish people in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Malachi 3, 7, which says, even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? It was another, this was another one of God's many, many crying pleas to Israel, to the Jewish people. It was like the crying plea that God made in the Shema in, in Deuteronomy 6:4, where he cries, God cries out, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God's is one. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh. Echad. Hero Israel, the three persons of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all one. That was a cry from God. Now, in this case, before the 400-year silence, God cried out to the Jewish people with this cry in Malachi 3.7, return unto me, and I will return unto you. That's a very simple invitation. It's a very simple promise that closes the Hebrew scriptures, return unto me, I will return unto you, Malachi 3.7. But Malachi 3.7 also includes the response of the Jewish people back to God. Malachi 3.7 says, wherein shall we return? The Jewish people are replying in there, how? How are we supposed to return to God? What is the right way to return to God? What is the true way? to return to God. See, this is all in Malachi 3.7. The Jewish people are asking the question, how are we supposed to get friendship with God? 
And the and to try and answer that question yesterday was another Yom Kippur, another day of fasting to afflict the soul to return to God, another wondering if the day of fasting was really enough affliction of the soul to return to God. So yesterday was just another being left with this, this haunting, unanswered question of Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? Yesterday, Yom Kippur, was another day of coming to the temple all day to try and return to God and another leaving of the temple at the end of the day with no answer to the question of Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? Yesterday was another blowing of the shofar trumpet in the temple as a call in the synagogue, as a call to return to God, and another feeling of being unable to respond to the trumpet call because of the unanswered question of Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? Another in the day yesterday in the temple, another trying to remember all the sins of the last year. Let me see if I got them all. There were so many. Another confessing in the temple all the sins of last year to return to God, and another fear of uncertainty. Maybe I didn't remember them all. Maybe they're not all forgiven. Then another emptiness from having no answer to the question of Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? Another yesterday, another reading from the Torah, another reading from the Torah, another reading from Exodus, another reading from the Torah in the temple about the high priest thousands of years ago who went into the Holy of Holies with the blood offering, the blood sacrifice, the blood offering for the Jewish people, and another, as they read that story, and they read that account, another horrible reminder that today there is no Holy of Holies, and there is no blood offering for the Jewish people, and another insecure feeling from that, from not having an answer to the question of Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? Another sermon yesterday, another sermon yesterday from the rabbi in the synagogue explaining how today it's the giving of money to charities and it's the being kind to others that replaces all the sacrifices. And another thought of, are you kidding me? That's bogus. And another no response to the question of Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? All this happened to the Jewish people all around the world this weekend on Yom Kippur. And all this searching by the Jewish people happened this weekend on Yom Kippur, the search for friendship with God. While this weekend, we celebrate our friendship with God in the fellowship with the, because we have an answer to the Malachi 3.7 question, wherein shall we return? This weekend, as the Jewish people still ask the question of Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we turn? This weekend, we celebrate, we have an answer. We have an answer to that question, and the answer is in Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. The answer to the burning question that keeps on getting asked, 
year after year on Yom Kippur of Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? The answer is by the blood of atonement that God gave to us. The answer is the blood of Hebrews 10.19. Hebrews 10.19 that says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. That verse, Malachi 3.7, the question, wherein shall we return? The answer is in Hebrews 10.20, by a new and living way. That's the way to return to God. The question in Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? Hebrews 10.19, Hebrews 10.19, by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Another Yom Kippur of 2017 without the blood of Jesus only leaves the Malachi 3.7 question still on the table, wherein shall we return? The Jewish people know they must return to God. They don't know how. So in 2017, it's just another year of a Yom Kippur and with no answer to the Malachi 3.7, wherein shall we return? What does the blood of Jesus give? The blood of Jesus gives, Hebrews 10.19, boldness to enter into the holiness, holiest. In Hebrews 10.22, Hebrews 10.22, the blood of Jesus makes us to be able to draw near with a true heart. Without the blood of Jesus, no one can come to God. Without the blood of Jesus, no one can approach God. Without the blood of Jesus, no one can return to God. Without the blood of Jesus, no one can be a friend of God's. Without the blood of Jesus, no one can go to heaven when they die. And without the blood of Jesus, no one can hope, even hope, of not being cast into hell. And the passage that we're going to focus on now is the great betrayal. The great betrayal. Why? Because it was through that betrayal that there was the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ that led to his cross on which he died. So this passage of the great betrayal and arrest is the taking of the Lamb of God to become the blood sacrifice to take away what blocked us from becoming friends with God, which is our sins. So in John 18, verse 4, it speaks about how the Lord knew everything that was going to happen to him when we saw that. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Jesus knew every detail. The Lord Jesus knew every detail of what was going to happen to him. He knew every pain in advance that he was going to experience as they, as they tore the flesh off his back through the beating, as they drove the thorns from the crown of thorns into his skull, as they, as they impaled his hands, impaled his feet, the, 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 the dehydration that he would eventually die from. He knew all of that physical pain and suffering. He also knew the soul pain of having been betrayed, the soul pain of having been mocked up there, and he also knew the spiritual pain of having been separated from God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? With all that suffering clearly in view, it says in verse four, Jesus went forth. When it says that, 
in verse four that Jesus went forth. We can see him seeing it all and stepping forward and saying, bring it on. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it all. So when it says in verse four that Jesus went forth, we can see him with his eyes wide open, seeing it all, being like Abraham in Romans 4.20. Romans 4.20, he staggered not. It didn't knock him off his feet. He didn't get, he, he wasn't like, whoa. This was a resolve on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ in not staggering as he knew all that was coming in the cross before him. And the reason he didn't stagger when he saw all of that that was before him is because of what he also saw before him. Not just the physical, soul, and spiritual suffering, but he also saw what it says in Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Jesus went forth. He saw what was in front of him. There was a joy that was in front of him. It wasn't the joy of the cross. There was no joy of the cross. It was the joy of what the cross would accomplish when he yelled out, it is finished, to tell us that he was yelling out, accomplished. It's done. And what was it that was done at the cross? Hebrews 2.9. Hebrews 2.9. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, he, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That was the joy that was set before him. It was the joy as he went to the cross. It was the scene that was in front of his eyes. I'm By this cross, I'm bringing many sons to glory. He saw you, he saw me, he saw all those who would put their trust in him, and he sees them bringing them to glory, bringing them along. The cross was the pass that he provided for us to be able to come to heaven. The cross made the Lord Jesus the captain of our salvation. As the hymn couldn't express it any better, we sung it before, the Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar. Who follows in his train? They climb the steep ascent of heaven through peril, toil, and pain. Oh God, to us may grace be given to follow in their train. That's what he saw. Well, that's what it means when it says in verse 4, John 18, 4, Jesus went forth. That was the Son of God going forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. He's going to lead us as our captain right into heaven. And when we read these words, Jesus went forth, we see our captain. It's our captain who's going out on the battlefield. Just like when Goliath appears on the battlefield, all the Israelites run away. Goliath is standing there alone. He's saying, who, who, who? One person steps out alone, David, to meet Goliath. It's that all aloneness of the Lord that's emphasized here as he enters the battlefield talks about it in Isaiah 63, 4, Isaiah 63, 4, when he says, Isaiah 63, 4, the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, there was none to help. I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation. So when we read these things, Jesus went forth. We see the Lord 
with his own arm alone going forth to bring salvation, he's making himself an offering for sin. And it was because of the cross that the Lord Jesus had every right to ask from the Father and to receive from the Father this unbelievable request in John 17, 24, the previous chapter, John 17, 24, when he says to the Father, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me, that where I am, that they may behold my glory that, they, that thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. There's only one reason why God the Father should have granted that request of the Lord Jesus to let us be with him and to see his glory, and that reason was the cross and the blood of the cross. And he knew it all, that it was gonna come upon him, and he went forth. But this passage in John 18 not only tells about his knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus that he had of all the things that were coming, we're also told that Judas had a knowledge when it says in verse two, Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. So here we're told this is a garden. This is the garden of Gethsemane. Here's the garden that the Lord Jesus is entering into in verse one. And we're told specifically that Judas also knew that place. When it says that Judas also knew that place, we think about what it says about Judas in Luke 22.3, Luke 22.3, when it says, then entered Satan into Judas, named Iscariot, being of the number of the 12. It says in, in John 13.2, John 13.2, supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So here in this scene before us, with the Lord Jesus in verse one, he's not with Judas. Judas is not there. When it says in verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with the disciples over the book Kidron, where was a garden into which he and his disciples entered. He and his disciples minus Judas. And we can see the Lord at this point when he's going in there. He is totally exhausted. He's drained. He's seen in his mind. He knows it all, all the drama of the cross that lay before him. His soul is traumatized with exceeding sorrow even unto death. As he leaves Jerusalem, he crosses over the brook of Kedron. And in verse two, Saho, it says that he's going to this place where he says, Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Those words, oft times resorted. You can feel the state of mind of the Lord Jesus. He's tired, he's weary, he's been enduring what the Bible describes in Hebrews 12.3, Hebrews 12.3, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. See, it was just being so tired and weary with battling this contradiction of sinners. And the Greek word means this disputing, this striving, this quarreling, this arguing. It was always very hard for the Lord Jesus when he was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, Yerushalom is the city of peace. It's the city of peace. It was supposed to be a place where, where the Lord found peace, but it was the place where he found his strongest opposition and turmoil. It's the city where it killed him. Jerusalem was supposed to be his home. It was supposed to be the city of the Messiah, as God said in Psalm 2.6, Psalm 2.6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That's Jerusalem. But instead, 
He was never welcomed. He never could make Jerusalem his home. Just think of it. The Lord Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king of Jerusalem. He never spent a night in Jerusalem. He never spent a night in the city of Jerusalem. Not one night in Jerusalem. But he spent many nights outside of Jerusalem in this garden, this garden outside of Jerusalem, this garden of Gethsemane. And every day, at the end of the day, when the people would watch him leave the city for this place outside the city, this garden, the people thought, there he goes again. He can't spend the night in Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem doesn't want him. Right along the lines of John 111, John 111, when the people of Jerusalem watch him leave, and at the end of every day, they just, just almost recite John 111. He's leaving again tonight because he came unto his own city, Jerusalem, and his own city, Jerusalem, received him not. And at the end of every day, the people in Jerusalem watch him leave the city, and out he goes out of the gate, he crosses over the little brook there, and they thought, there he goes again. Outside of Jerusalem, he is bearing his reproach as he leaves the city. That's why God tells us, take a good look, take a good look at the Lord as he's leaving Jerusalem and picture ourselves watching him leave Jerusalem, bearing his reproach, and then don't be like the city of Jerusalem, open up the window, shut the window, say, okay, that's it. No, God says, be different, jump up, go where he is, join him, go with him outside the city, as it says in Hebrews 13, 13. Hebrews 13, 13. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So in verse one, we see him leaving Jerusalem as he did so many times, bearing his reproach. He's tired, he's weary from trying to save sinners, and all the sinners are doing is wanting to argue, disagree, strive with him. And as with many days, so with this day, it's just gotten to be just a little bit too much. And the Savior is laser-focused as he heads for that place. That's a special place for him. That's a secret place. That's a place where he resorted oftentimes to be with his Father. Even while he's in Jerusalem, enduring all of this contradiction of sinners against himself, he's thinking in his mind, he's looking forward, I'm going to get back to the special place. I'm going to get back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about that. It leads us to a question. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we have a special place to meet with God? Do we go to that special place oft times, often, to meet with God? Do we long to be in that special place to meet with God? During the day when the going gets really tough and we're tired, do we think about that special place as a resort from it all? I'm going to go there and meet with God. That's what we see the Lord Jesus doing here. And it's very important as we look at this verse here just to see how fast and how fluid things are happening here. Everything's happening here in these two verses. You know, in the English, you look at it, it's, it kind of looks like the past tense. Well, it is the past tense. When it says in verse 2 that the Lord resorted, resorted, as in past tense. In the English, the past tense is also used in verse 2 when it speaks about Judas betrayed, betrayed, past tense, betrayed. But the Greek is not that way. The Greek is actually in the present tense. So that what it's really saying in verse 2 is, and Judas also was betraying him, was in the process of betraying him. He knew the place. For Jesus oft time was resorting there. He was in the process of resorting there. So he's in the process of resorting there, and Judas is in the process of betraying him. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.